Life Out Loud is a literary nonfiction podcast series that features real student stories. Born in a John Jay College creative nonfiction writing classroom in the fall 2015 semester, Life Out Loud seeks to diversify the perspectives typically shared in the CNF genre. Our project aims to amplify voices seldom heard through artful truth-telling simply because we believe that all stories matter. We make them, and they make us. You can always listen at lifeoutloudpodcast.com. Hi there, and welcome back to Life Out Loud, a literary nonfiction podcast through which we tell true, maybe all too true stories. I'm Kira, one of your hosts tonight. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Angel. I'm excited to be back. You may recognize my voice a little later on as an author, as well as one of your hosts tonight. And I'm Bilal. Thank you for joining us tonight on the seventh episode of our sixth season entitled Nothing's Forever. And I'm Karen. In this episode, two authors experience the hardships associated with an experience that has taken from all of us in different ways, COVID-19. And I'm Sophia. Now, let's get into the first story of the night. This story is by a new author to the podcast, Fernanda. Fernanda, pronouns she, they, is a 22-year-old John Jay alumni currently working at SASP. She grew up in Brazil and moved to NYC about five years ago. While these past few years haven't been easy, they have certainly served as inspiration for several of her stories. Fernanda hopes that through her stories, others sharing the same feelings or experience as her won't feel so alone in this world. A warning that this story touches on very sensitive topics that may be difficult to hear. Listener discretion is advised. Let's take a listen to Fernanda's piece entitled Numb. The entire apartment is a complete mess. The chairs in our dining table are doubling as laundry baskets now. There are Legos, paintings, puzzles, books, and board games thrown all across the room. All of them failed attempts at trying to distract myself. I swear I've tried a bit of everything, but nothing seems to keep my attention for too long. Nothing makes me happy anymore. None of it brings me joy like it used to. Eventually, I get sick of all the games. I have binged my entire Netflix list, and I read all the interesting books on my shelves. Eventually, all I'm left with is me and my own thoughts. Eventually, I'm once again left with Brenda. I don't remember when or how it actually started, Maybe it was just a suggestion from my therapist years and years ago. Something like, think of your negative thoughts as somebody else. You don't care about what other people say, so maybe they'll help you not listen to them. And that's how Brenda was born. My shadow, always following me, always criticizing everything I do. To make it clear, no, she's not real. And yeah, I know that. But she is real in my mind. And most days, she's all that I listen to. It's your fault. Everything is your fault, she tells me. Deep down, I know it's not. I know. But I still can't ignore her. She is me, and I'm her. Fernie, do you need any help getting up? Paul asks me. I look up at him and realize I've been in bed for over an hour now. 
I need to pee so fucking bad and my stomach feels like it'll eat itself if I don't have any breakfast soon. By now, Paul has already gotten up and made us both food. I can hear the sounds of the coffee maker from across the room, but the comforting scent is still not enough to get me out of bed. Some days, I'll eat everything I can find in the cupboard. Other days, Paul has to force me to get even some water into my system. I can already tell that today will be one of the latter. I remember the times when Paul and I used to go out on dates, enjoy each other's company over chocolate chip pancakes or chicken waffles at dinner. We would go out to the movies every week, even though we didn't actually watch much of them. I would wear one of my cutest pink dresses and put on makeup. Like clockwork, I'd excuse myself to the bathroom as soon as we got there just to take some cute mirror pictures. Nowadays, we rarely ever go out. I never feel pretty anymore, no matter how much Paul tells me that I am. All I hear is Brenda yelling at me about how much weight I've gained, reminding me that most of my clothes don't fit anymore. I never feel good enough to throw on just some eyeliner or blush. I miss feeling good about myself. It's been months since I pulled my favorite flowery pink dress out of the closet. I nod at Paul, unable to let any words out of my mouth. We have drag race today, baby, he cheerfully tells me. Just like every Saturday morning, our ritual is to catch up on last night's episode. I should be extra excited. I mean, today's snatch game, but I'm not really. God, you can't even get up for something nice, you useless piece of trash. I try to ignore Brenda as Paul grabs my hands and pulls me out of bed. I wrap my arms around his torso, trying to steady myself. My legs feel pretty heavy, and even though I know I should be able to move, everything in me tells me that I'm just stuck. He leans down and gives me a soft forehead kiss before dragging me to the bathroom. We're both already used to this routine. Some days it's me, other days it's him. Whoever is doing the least worse, tries their best to take care of the other. He says he's just doing his job as my partner, but I do actually believe that Paul's my guardian angel. Some days, we still have fun. We'll watch horror movies together and play some board games until we're both way too tired to stay up anymore. Other days, we'll each just play Animal Crossing or read silently side by side. Whatever it is that we can do at home since we're both way too scared of getting sick to go out. But, even on the easier days, it's still hard to enjoy it. I know it will all be fleeting, and soon, Brenda will come back. She always does. I'm wearing the same Care Bear pants I've been wearing for the past week. Paul has given me one of his shirts to wear, since he knows his smell calms me down. Miraculously, this one is not a stain like all of his shirts usually are. Paul leads me to the bathroom and leaves me with the door still half open. I look at my reflection in the mirror and let out a sigh. Whoever looks back doesn't look like me anymore. Brenda is right. I've gotten ugly. The dark circles under my eyes have gotten out of hand, and my eyes no longer have like the youthful shine that they used to. I look down at the little, don't listen to Brenda, things will get better, post-it that I glued to the bottom of the mirror. Now, 
I didn't believe in that sort of positivity when I wrote it, and I certainly don't believe it now. I take a deep breath and shake my head, hoping that it will scare Brenda off and make her go bother somebody else for once. I reach for the faucet, letting the freezing water run. Unlike Paul, I'm never patient enough to wait until it gets warmer. So instead, I just let my hands soak in it, and I hope that it's over quickly. At the very least, the cold makes me feel something as I rinse my face. Even if that something is the unpleasant sensation of a dementor just slapping me across the face. Still, it's something at least. From the corner of my eyes, I see the smudges on my arms. Last night's drawings of slots and bunnies that now have become one with my skin. I reach for the soap and try my best to scrub the red sharpie ink off my wrists. I scrub hard as if getting rid of it will make everything better, will make me better. But as much as I try, they don't really wash away that easily. After a few minutes, my fingers have grown numb from the cold. My entire body feels so tired that I give up trying to clean up. You should just give up on everything at once, Fernanda. You're nothing more than a useless pile of shit. Paul opens the door to check in on me, but the suddenness of the movement kind of scares me. My body freezes, and even though I know it's just him, I, I still can't help feeling scared. Fernie, are you okay? He asks, but his concern only makes everything worse. See, you only make everyone worry about you. Your parents are worried, your friends are worried, Paul is worried. All you do is bother everyone, Fernanda. You'd be better off dead. They all hate you anyways. Shut up, I yell at Brenda, but Paul thinks it was for him. He quickly closes the door, and I wish I had been the one able to shut up. I fall to the ground, unaware that the bathroom tiles are so cold they'll probably make me sick in a couple of hours. Stupid, spoiled little bitch, Brenda tells me. You don't say shit until it's too late. You hurt everybody that loves you. And it hurts because I know she's so right. Ever since the day I was born, I've always been way too quiet. Everybody used to say I'm shy, but I've never been. Maybe it's just social anxiety, but I've always felt afraid of speaking up, of sharing things, of expressing any of my feelings. I just keep things in until they explode, until my mouth can no longer shut around all the words that I need to say. But what comes pouring out is usually anger, and it always just hurts the first person in sight. My mind drifts back to my parents, my entire family that's still back home in Brazil, Half a world away from me. Bitch, you can't even manage to call them anymore. You're always moping around and don't even give them any news. They wouldn't even notice if you went missing. Nobody would. I close my eyes. It's true. I haven't been able to tell them that I got a raise at work or that I got a perfect GPA again this semester. I mean, it's not like I care. All I ever do is just bury myself in work so that I don't have any free time to think. The longer I write long-ass psychology papers or create dissertations about gender equity, the less time that I hopefully get to spend with Brenda. Still, I feel guilty for never telling my family anything that's going on. 
It's your fault they're hurting. A child shouldn't just abandon her parents like that. I pressed my hands against my temples, hoping that would make her stop. I pressed so hard that I can feel migraine is coming soon. It is my fault that my parents are hurting. I've always known that if I wanted to be happy, I'd have to leave my home country. If I wanted to live over the age of 18 and not just probably kill myself at the first opportunity, then I had to try my hardest to find a place that truly felt like home to me. And I did. Somehow, I'm exactly where I've always wanted to be. And yet, I feel nothing. I should be happy, but I can't even leave my apartment ever since the pandemic started. Every time I try to, I end up having a panic attack. What use is it living in the city that I've always dreamed of if I can't even visit museums or coffee shops or even just go for a walk with my friends? I can't go to the Dunkin' next to my office at 57 and I can't wait for class sitting at the jaywalk. I miss feeling free. I miss not being so afraid to go out that I have to pop a Xanax just to go out and take the trash. Look, I know Paul doesn't think I'm actually upset at him, but I feel so terrible. Maybe that's why no one loves you, I hear Brenda say. And it's too much. The bathroom lights, the cold heart floor, the thoughts in my head, they're all way too much. I reach for the light switch and turn the lights off. After a few minutes, Paul slightly opens the door and hands me my phone and headphones. I grab his teddy bear hands and I thank him. After I apologize at least 10 or so times for yelling, he comes in and kisses my forehead. It's okay, baby. I love you. He slips my headphones into my ears and hands me waffles, the giant stuffed sloth he gifted me on my birthday a couple of months ago. As he leaves the bathroom, I hug her tightly, her softness and slight sun of drool calming me down. My breathing is already bad enough as it is because of my asthma, but as I hug waffles, I find myself gasping for air. It kind of feels like that time I was eight and almost drowned because I was too scared to tell the other girls that I couldn't swim. Back then, my only friend, Sophia, had been my savior. She dragged me out of the pool as the other girls laughed at me. And Brenda is just like those girls. But Waffles is not. So I try to focus on her soft words. By now, it's been almost three hours since I woke up. I miss the old days when getting out of bed wasn't so difficult. I used to stretch right after waking up, pick up a cute outfit and play around with makeup until I found the perfect look to match. After getting ready, I'd have plenty of energy to cook something simple but yummy, like cinnamon french toast or maybe some scrambled eggs. I'd message my dad almost every day to wish him a good work day, or sometimes just to send him a Baby Yoda gift to cheer him up. Before leaving the house, I'd pick the perfect book to read on a subway ride to school. Usually, my choice was between fantasy or a manga, depending on how much I actually wanted to read that day. I know Paul has already set up my meds and breakfast for when I leave the bathroom. Toast, coffee, Lexapro, and Xanax. Ah, what a healthy and perfectly balanced diet. 
most days, I wonder if I was just giving a placebo. But still, my psychiatrist assures me that my body just takes longer to adjust to it. She tells me it takes longer because anxiety disorders are much harder to take care of than just depression. It doesn't help that she's diagnosed me with three of them. Generalized anxiety disorder, social disorder, and panic disorder. With a sprinkle of major depressive disorder on the side. Yum. See, you're even bad at taking meds. As much as I try to ignore, I know Brenda is right. Every time I have a session, my dosage only gets higher and higher. My psychiatrist tells me that I need to be patient. That things will get worse before they get better. But if there's one thing that I'm not, it is patient. I can't really see how things will ever get better. I try to cry, but nothing comes out. All the meds seem to stop me from feeling anything at all. And I miss being able to just let it all out. I used to be a crybaby. Before I started taking anything, I've never really spent more than a couple of days without crying. I cried at movies, I cried at school, several public bathrooms, and as a true New Yorker, the subway. The only place in this entire world that I haven't cried was anywhere in front of my parents. No, I try my best to let them think that I'm strong. If they truly knew how much I was hurting inside, they would never let me leave their home, let alone their country. No, they don't know about Brenda, about the meds, or even about how often I think about ending my own life. The first time I left New York City for college, I remember how much everybody cried at the airport. My mom cried because of how excited she was for my future. And although I'll deny it, my dad seemed to be crying more so because he was losing his little baby girl. My brother cried too. I think that was because he wouldn't have me around to gossip with, talk shit about our family, or just to pick on whenever he wanted to. Somehow, I was the only one whose eyes seemed to be dry. It was only when the plane landed that I cried. For the first time in my life, I felt like I was in the right place. I felt like I could be myself and cry whenever I wanted to. I miss being that happy or sad. Honestly, I just miss feeling anything at all. I hit my forehead with the ends of my palms where I know it hurts the most. I want Brenda to stop. I just want to make it all stop. Ay, caralho. I cuss in Portuguese out loud. I stop and try my best to take a deep breath. Well, as deep as my asthma will let me. I raise the volume on my headphones, hug waffles a little tighter, and close my eyes. Red Velvet's Kingdom Come lyrics remind me of Paul. We're both complete nerds, we're both queer, and we both share a crush on Orlando Bloom as Legolas in Lord of the Rings. Maybe that's TMI though. Both Paul and I have been through the shittiest of relationships. We both are way too kind to people who don't deserve it, and we both have an uncanny ability to attract toxic people into our lives. We share the same two brain cells, and for the first time in my life, I have somebody who 
actually calms me down instead of making me believe that everything I'm feeling is not valid. Just like the song, Paul still feels dreamlike to me. A fantasy that'll disappear once I open my eyes. I let the song play out once, twice, 13 times before I stop shifting back and forth. I'm able to open my eyes and stop shivering. I must have passed out for a bit because my neck hurts as if I've been trying to hold on to way too much weight. Slowly, I try to do some stretches. My body is used to the routine that I had for years as a dancer. I skip to the next song, this time one with a more upbeat tempo. I remember learning its choreography months ago in the studio, and my muscle memory instinctively reacts to it. I move my fingers, glad that my body is starting to work a little bit better. I stretch my neck out and it makes a loud crack. Ten more minutes go by and I'm finally able to move a little bit more. I release my posture and stretch out my legs. I call for Paul like I used to call for my grandma when I was little, stretching out my arms and grabbing onto the air like a little baby. He comes over, turns on the light, and slowly pulls me up into a hug. I try to breathe, and my lungs finally seem to be working again. I grab his hand and follow him out of the bathroom. I know that by now my food is already soggy, my coffee is definitely cold, I know that I'll need to take a nap as soon as drag race is over, and I know that tomorrow will be the same thing over again. But still, I keep going. Thank you so much for joining us, Fernanda. It's such a great honor to have you here. No, thank you for having me. Of course. Uh, before we get started with this interview, Life Out Loud just wants to recognize that as we are still in a pandemic at the time of recording this episode, the stories about COVID-19 can touch people in unexpected ways. We want to share with listeners that if you or someone you know is experiencing difficulties with the current epidemic, even in the future when it has passed, there are resources available to you. If you live in New York, New York's Project HOPE Emotional Support Helpline is a valuable tool for anyone struggling with the effects of COVID-19. We know that everyone processes differently and crisis counselors are trained to interpret and respond to whatever you may be going through. Conversations are free, confidential, and anonymous. The helpline is available for calls seven days a week from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. For a list of more resources, please check our website, www.lifeoutloudpodcast.com. So with that being said, Fernanda, I just want to thank you again for being here and sharing your story with us. It was so beautifully written, and we learned so much about what you've endured. And I just wanted to ask, how are you doing today? Uh, well, I think I wrote the story like over a year ago now. So I've thankfully been doing a lot better since then. Um, but yeah, months, I feel like mental health is like very much a roller coaster. There are good days, bad days. So today is a good day. <laughs> That's great. I'm really happy to hear it. Fernanda, your story was incredible. I will say that firsthand, it was incredible. Uh, well, this story, I'm going to say this right now, very eloquently displays the struggles of living in the pandemic. The pandemic hasn't been the easiest time for millions of people. And my heart goes out to those who have suffered in the pandemic, first off. 
In your story, you mentioned how you experienced fear at the aspect of going outside due to the possibility of getting sick. Now, the following question. As a writer, why did you choose to include the emotion of fear in this way into your story? Uh, I think living with anxiety for most of my life and having all those like feelings just hiding during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like fear has been like my number one motivator <laughs> for most of my life in a good way and in a bad way. Like it motivates me to go out and get shit done, but also <laughs> it just keeps me from, you know, being able to do even things that I like. So I wanted to write something that's just like very mundane, if that makes sense. Like it's all in my head and that's what anxiety is. Um, but yeah, just the constant fear that goes on in my chaos of a, a brain. Mm -hmm. Makes sense, yeah. I think that you did that so well. And speaking of being in your head, this literally goes right into <laughs> what I want to talk to you about. Because I think that the mental health side of this piece is really important to talk about and to touch on and discuss because you bring a lot of important topics to the table. And your piece, what it does really well is display the negative mindset that you were experiencing during the pandemic. And something that I noticed that you did is use a different tone in the parts of your writing that are talking about your internal thoughts. So there's a few spots where Brenda is talking to you in this piece and she says some mean, mean things. And a few examples are like when she's telling you to give up or when she says you're a useless pile of trash. And I think it's so interesting to read your thoughts and to kind of like experience them alongside you. And it's a really intimate point of view to be giving to us and to let us see how you're referring to yourself in your own head. So you, you mentioned this, so I wanna ask you, as the author of this piece, how did you make that choice to give us this sort of like in your head, like insider view of where you were at? I think a little bit after I started writing the story, I wanted like a way for it to be like more real and to like, I don't know, sort of like, it's the same thing that I do with Brenda is I third way my thoughts. I externalize it to like somebody else mm -hmm. so that at least no matter how bad that I'm doing, I know in that moment that it's not me talking. It's like this other person, like, I know it's still in my head, but like, it feels like somebody else is like actually like going into my brain and like, talking shit about me yeah you make her a character yeah, yeah literally literally she really is and uh I I think I said this in like the beginning of the story like it was something my therapist like suggested like years and years ago and mm -hmm. I still to this day whenever I'm like I start to go into that negative mind space I try to remind myself that it's just not me it's Brenda talking and that I can like at least if it's not me, I can somewhat try to ignore her, even even if I'm not too great at it most of the time. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's just something I've been doing for a while and I wanted to put it in writing, even if it sounds kind of crazy. I feel like it sounds like kind of crazy, but it is how my brain works. I think that's pretty cool. And 
I never thought about it that way of like kind of creating a distance between who you are as a person and who like your anxiety brain and like depression brain and all that is telling you that you are. I think that's like a really cool tip. And honestly, like I kind of want to try using it going forward. And also giving something like a name kind of gives you power over it, like calling something by its name. So that's also really cool. Yeah. Yeah, um, adding on to what Sophia said um, on the topic of distance, um, in your story, you did talk about how in order for you to be happy, you would have to leave your country. So putting distance between you and a place you were familiar with. And in your own words, you stated that if I wanted to live over the age of 18 and not just kill myself at the first opportunity, I had to try my hardest to find a place that truly felt like home to me. And although you knew that you had to find your happiness elsewhere in a different environment, do you feel that being far away from everything you once knew had like an impact on how you were feeling throughout your story? Hmm, that's an interesting question. I think I've been in this country for like five years now. And I remember when I first moved here, a lot of my friends from high school and like people that I knew also like try uh, coming here or Canada or like different places in Europe, you know, but it's just something that's just so hard to do. And unless it's something that you're like really set on it, it's just, just totally like devastating. And I think right now out of the people that started with me, like somewhere else, most of them are went back home. Um, because it is even for me like knowing that I wanted to leave Brazil so early like I, I've always known since I was little I just didn't feel at home there and even then like I still struggle like you know I still after the pandemic I spent like almost two and a half years without seeing any of my family and I'm thankful that at least I have my own like support systems here I have mm -hmm. my partner I have my friends and I have people that I can count on um but yeah it's still pretty hard and I don't think it ever gets easier you just sort of learn how to live with it mm -hmm. yeah and I think you capture that like kind of dichotomy really well of like missing home but also knowing that like you, this is where you're supposed to be and like New York is your place so you did that really well in this piece and you should be proud of that <laughs> thank you can I interject for a second I, something just came up for me um would you ever consider going back home to Brazil or... no no <laughs> just no okay go ahead go ahead no, I've considered uh, going like different places, but my mom always said that I'm a child of the world and uh, wherever I go, she just, you know, will hope to see me a couple times a year. Uh, <laughs> I, I just like traveling and I like knowing new places and I, yeah, just, it feels like my hometown is a little bit too small for me. I see. You're 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 an adventurous woman. I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Fernando, uh, obviously everybody got to ask their questions. Uh, if anything, lastly, what if anything would you like listeners to take away from the story? I think I try to write 
just for a baby Fernanda just struggling by herself and so I think whatever I'm writing like the point of it is just to remember that you're never alone and you know whatever you think is going on in your head that as crazy as it sounds or as sad as it might sound like other people are going through you know similar things maybe not exactly the same thing that you're going through but like we all are struggling and even like if you ask anybody that knows me in my life they probably wouldn't know all of my mental health struggles and because I just try to keep it together and I'm pretty good at hiding um how I'm actually feeling so it's just like I think everybody's struggling in their own ways and even if you don't notice like you just never alone. Mm-hmm. That's true. For sure. Wow. <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> oh man. It's important to keep that in mind that you don't know what other folks' struggles are. Mm-hmm. But to know that they're there. Yeah. Fernanda, that's beautiful. And with that, we are so thankful to have you here. And the story is beautiful and very important for our audience to hear. So thank you for coming in tonight. Thank you all. Thank you so much. much. Thank you, Fernanda. Thank you, Fernanda. Appreciate it. This story is by an author who's been on the hosting side of this podcast this season, Angel Salome. Angel is a 20-year-old junior at John Jay from Queens, New York. He grew up in a hardworking Peruvian household. He is currently majoring in political science and minoring in journalism. In his free time, he loves to play sports, go to the gym, and go out with friends and family to alleviate the stresses the world brings on a daily basis. In the future, he hopes to become one of the best journalists in the nation and have his face appear on TV as an analyst. A warning that this story touches on very sensitive topics that may be difficult to hear. Listener discretion is advised. Let's take a listen to Angel's story entitled Abuelo Cocinero. There are two types of pain. Pain that hurts you and pain that changes you. (sighs) Angel, ven para la mesa. Es hora de almorzar. My mom shouts as I pause my FIFA game onto my Nintendo Wii. I run out to the dining room, and I see my favorite dish on the table, lomo saltado. Woohoo! I shout in pure joy as my mother laughs at my hyperactive self. Angelito, how was your first day of eighth grade? My mom asks as I chew on the lomo like a monster. It was really good, mommy. Thank you for making my lunchbox today. I loved my ham sandwich. I answer as I reach over for my cup of orange juice. From the corner of my eye, I spot a difference in the order of my shelf, which has all of our family photos. My thinking face activates itself as I take a glance at my shelf and I see the same photos on the first row. The one where my dad and I are on the Times Square Ferris wheel. The one where my mom and I are at my pre-kindergarten graduation. And the one my sis and I are posing in front of the tree feeling like Hollywood celebrities. My eyes analyze the second row and immediately spot a stranger. It's the second photo from the left, and I see my mother in her, of course, with her 70s afro, and a tall, old dude. Mami, ¿quién es ese hombre? 
asked my mother in confusion with no clue who this guy is in the photo. My mother carefully grizzes the photo with her hands that are exhausted from cooking for two hours and brings the mysterious photo over. She places her left hand on my right shoulder and says, That old man right there is your grandfather, Papa Eduardo, or for short, Papa Lalo. Oh my goodness, mommy, I'm so sorry for calling him old. I told my mother as my mother laughs at me. The Asian eyes you have come from him. He is, in fact, of Japanese descent. My mother says as I stand in utter shock about my grandfather. My mother starts to explain about Papa Lalo's life, including the part where he raised her and my tío all by himself. Wow, Abuelo Lalo seems like a cool person, I shout in utter excitement. Mommy, I have never met any of my grandparents and I really want to meet Papa Lalo. I say with such urgency as my mother carefully places the photo back in its place. Angelito, I know. I want to see Abuelito too. It's been 13 long years without him. I don't have the funds right now to bring him here. Perhaps one day, I will. Be patient with me. My mother responds as I take my last bite of the lomo saltado. As I walk into the kitchen to wash the dishes, I ask myself, will I ever meet Papa Lalo? I want to meet him so bad. I put my binder-loaded backpack on the floor after spending eight hours of my precious life at Francis Lewis High School. Hola, hijo, ¿cómo estás? My mother asks. Hi, mommy. How was work? My mother replies. Work was great. Now, Mr. Hungry, are you hungry? My mother jokingly asks as my stomach grumbles in hunger. Yes, mommy, I am indeed hungry. What did you make? My mother walks into the kitchen and takes out a plate that is engulfed in green. Tallarín verde con bistec. I shout in excitement as my mother places the plate on the table. The smell of the green spaghetti with the steak engulfs the dining room as my mother sits me down. Angelito, we need to talk about something. I immediately shake in fear and begin to wonder, oh my God, did my teachers call my mom? Wait, what the fuck did I do wrong in school? Angel, stop. It's probably nothing. Nah, it's something serious. My mother slowly utters the words, Angelito, we have great news. All the bad thoughts go out of the window as my picture of an ass whooping with the size 10 sandal fades. Que paso, mama? Que paso? I shout an urgency, desperately wanting to know what the hell was going on. Angelito, your father and I have bought tickets for your abuelo Lalo to come to New York. My body pops up from the dining chair like a whack-a-mole and I rush in to hug my mom. Yes, mommy. Oh, my God. I'm going to finally meet Papa Lalo. But more importantly, mommy, you will reunite with him after two decades. I wish things would have been different. Angel, wake up. It's time to go to the airport. My father shouts to my face. The balloon that reads out, welcome, is floating in the room, just waiting to get to the airport. My mother, excited like a kid on her way to the candy shop, urges me to change quicker. Holy shit. I'm actually going to meet Papa Lalo. But before that ever happens, I got to tie these shoes. I say to myself as my mother calls the cab. We are on the way to the airport, JFK to be exact. It is seven in the morning and my hands start to sweat as the nerves start to take over my body like a symbiote that took over Eddie Brock and Spider-Man. Angelito, tranquilo. No te pongas nervioso, hijito lindo. Tu abuelo es muy buena gente. 
My mom says in an attempt to calm my nerves. My dad is holding my mother's hand. As I, like my father, knowing that the only one that is the most nervous is my mother. I think to myself, after two decades, my mother will finally see her father. And I will be there with her to witness this moment. I can't believe it. It is 7.45 a.m. and JFK is packed with people. Hundreds of people are rolling their suitcases along the floor. Some speaking in English, while others speaking languages I have never heard of in my life. I see my sister walk through the doors of JFK with my brother-in-law, and she is shaking like a 9.0 magnitude earthquake. Mama, ¿cuándo llega mi abuelo Lalo? My sister asks my mother. He's scheduled to arrive around 9.30 a.m. My mother responds, trying to hold back her nerves and excitement. It is 9.30 a.m. My family are anxiously pacing around the waiting area, just hoping for those doors to open so that those who come from Peru can start coming out. Then the doors open. My heart goes zero to 100 real quick like Drake as the people from Peru start flowing out. My family sees the first 10 people come out. Papalalo nowhere in sight. Okay, guys, in the second wave, he will be there. My mom tells us as she starts pacing around the waiting area, biting her nails off. The next 10 are coming out. I, along with my family, noticed that there were a lot of agents coming from Peru. And my mom in her utter frustration said, oh my God, why are so many Asian people coming out? Papalalo! My mom screams in utter joy. I turn my head 90 degrees to the left. And there he is. My grandfather standing there with two suitcases, getting ready to see her daughter for the first time in two decades. My mom runs up to Papalalo, and 20 years of missing my grandfather pour out of my mother's eyes, and they both share a hug that marked the reuniting of my mother and her father. My grandfather greets my sister and my father next, each crying in tears due to the very nostalgia that they are experiencing. Then... The moment came. Papa Lalo and I make eye contact. I approach him, hard going even more than a hundred at this point, and say, Hola, uh, 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 hola, Eduardo. Mucho gusto de conocerte. My grandfather immediately rushes in to give me a hug as my family looks on with happiness. I finally got a hug from one of my grandparents, I said to myself as I nervously help him with his luggage. I finally met my grandfather, but would I really get to know him? My mother, father, sister, brother-in-law, Papa Lalo and I sit in the dining room and Papa Lalo leans to pick up a briefcase. What could be in that briefcase? I ask myself as Papa Lalo opens the briefcase. Papa Lalo pulls out three photos. The first photo, this photo was taken in Argentina years ago when I used to go on business trips. Papalalo says that I stay in awe at the fact that he was a businessman. The second photo. Guys, this photo is of my nieta Chiarita when she used to have the Dora haircut at the age of seven. Laughs around the environment as my sister hugs Papalalo while I say, Dora, 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 the Explorer. The last photo. Wait, Abuelito, is that me? I ask him. Well, indeed it is, Angelito. Why do you look so shocked? He replied. Well, Abuelito, I just figured since you and I had never met each other before, up until this point, 
you wouldn't really have a photo of me. My grandpa looks on with utter shock in his face. Angelito, of course. I was always thinking of you, even though we had never met. Because after all, you are my grandson. <sighs> you loved me, even though you didn't even know me. <sighs> By now, Papalado has been with us for one month. Would you like for me to cook some fried chicken for you? My grandpa asks as my stomach grumbles. I let out an empathetic, yes, please. I walk out of my room, which I now share with Papa Lalo, and I see two pieces of fried chicken on the table with french fries. Papa Lalo sits me down as he brings his plate along with two bottles of water for us to share a meal together. Angelito, try my chicken. I hear you love to critique people's food, Papa Lalo says. I bite down into the core of the chicken. And as my taste buds touch the chicken, I immediately turn on the Gordon Ramsay button and start analyzing the taste of the food. So, Angelito, what did you think? Abuelito, your fried chicken was simply amazing. The chicken was cooked just right, and the seasoning is just perfect. I reply as my stomach nags me to have more. Well, it's safe to say, you have your abuelo cocinero, Papalado says as he sips from his water bottle. The grandpa cook, abuelo cocinero. At this point, it had been three months since Fabalalo arrived from Peru. Let's go! Good fucking shit! Nice shot! I scream as my friend hits the game winner NBA 2K. Angel, please, I'm trying to go to sleep. Stop yelling so much! My grandpa calls. Oh, fuck off, grandpa. I said to myself as I focus guarding the opposing player. The next night. Fiorella, Angel makes too much noise, and I'm tired of it, Papalado says to my mom as I listen in. I'm tired of him yelling while I'm trying to go to sleep, my grandpa says furiously as my mother tries to defend me. Father, I'm so sorry, but here, life is different. Angelito loves to play games with his friends late at night, and I need him to distract himself from the stress school is giving him at the moment. I hate you, grandpa, I uttered to myself. You've taken my room. I can't even play until late with my friends anymore. I wish you would just leave so I could have my life back. My grandpa walks back into my room and immediately tucks himself into bed to go to sleep while I glare at him. Three days later, I walk in and I see Papa Lalo talking to his family members back in Peru. And I overhear someone ask, how is life over there? To which my grandfather responds, it isn't the greatest because my grandson always makes noise at night and never lets me sleep. I shut off the song All Me by Drake and stormed out of the room and into the living room to watch some sports. I hate you, Grandpa. I think again. You are the one who's making my life miserable with your constant complaining. You aren't even in Peru anymore. Life is different here, I say to myself as I see my mother peacefully cooking in the kitchen. Why was I so selfish? Why? 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 At this point, it had been four months since Papa Lalo arrived from Peru. I walk into the house to find my grandfather hanging out. As I look for my PlayStation controller, I glance over at him. It's just us. Should I talk to him? Should I ask him about how life was in Peru? I think to myself. 
Ding! I get a notification on my iPhone. Yo, Angel, hop on 2K. We finna play some Pro-Am. I immediately hop up with my controller in hand and put 2K into the PlayStation 4 and pull a chair from my desk and join the PlayStation party. My grandpa gets up from his bed and walks outside to watch TV as I load up Pro-Am. Let's get these W's! I shout to myself. <sighs> Why was I an asshole to my own grandfather? I should have made an effort to know him more. <sighs> it's one week before he leaves. I come out of my physical therapy session. And I see my grandfather patiently waiting outside. Hey, Angelito, how was the session? Papalo asks. My knee is really sore, but it's the type of sore that says that your knee is getting stronger, you know? Papalolo laughs and hugs me as he opens the door for me. Angelito, come with me to purchase a lottery ticket, Papalolo says. Alright, no problem, I respond. We walk into the bodega, and Papalolo's hoping he can win the lotto so that he can be rich. Oh, abuelito, who doesn't want to be rich? I say to myself as he purchases his lottery ticket and says... We wait and see if I get rich before I leave. As we walk up the block on 80th and Elmhurst Ave, Papalado says, Angelito, I'm going to leave in a week. Before I leave, I want you to do this for me. What thing does he want me to do? I ask myself. Angelito, you know your mother and father aren't on the greatest of terms right now. After I leave, she will need someone to support her during her darker moments. Promise me you will look after your mother until I come back. Papalolo says that I try to process what he said. For sure, abuelito, I will never leave mom's side. I'll do everything I can to make her happy as her son. <sighs> and I will always keep that promise, Papalolo. One week later, the clock kicks 9.30 a.m. and I walk into class. Hey, yo, Angel, what's good? One of my boys asks as I enter law class. Nothing much, man. I'm just here waiting to get a text from my sis. A text about what? My boy asks. Nah, my grandfather leaves today and I couldn't make it. Phone vibrates. I slowly slide my phone up from my black sweats and I see a messenger notification from my sister. My sister texts. Papalolo just boarded the plane. He said he will see you very soon and that he loves you. Why didn't I miss school to say goodbye to him at the airport? Why? It's a couple years later, and I'm now at work. It's 7 p.m., Angel. Two more hours, and I'm out of this fucking supermarket. I utter to myself as I see the floor manager approach me. Angel, it's your sister. It's an emergency. I quickly close my register and rush to the main office. Angel! My sister yells, Papalado has COVID. He's currently in the hospital. Well, we need to buy him oxygen right away. Please, send me $100. Please. The world around me goes dark as I pull out my phone, not caring if my manager notices, and open up the Chase app and immediately send $100. Kiara, I just sent you the $100. Stop crying. He's going to be fine. You have to be strong, Kiara. I say to her, even though I myself am suffocating as I try to maintain composure at work. 
Okay, okay, brother, you're right. Keep working. I'll update you. <sighs> Papalado will be fine. He has to get better. For my own sake. Two weeks later. It's 4 o'clock p.m. on a Tuesday in April. And I am on my last set of bicep curls at the gym. And started from the bottom by Drake's plane. Papalalo is recovering now. And I'm barely thinking about this pandemic at all. As I focus on pumping out that last set of bicep curls. As I am preparing to put down the weight. The Apple ringtone sounds off. It's my sister. Angel! Papalalo! Kiara says as I scream. Kiara, what the fuck happened? Papalalo is dead. I need you to... To... to Send the $150 for his impending funeral. I immediately pull out my phone and send her the $150. Kiara, Kiara, what the fuck? I thought that he was recovering. What went wrong? I ask her as, as the locker room slowly starts to shrink in. The oxygen we paid for wasn't enough for his lungs that were in severe condition due to the virus. Angel, go home and try to see mom as I try to get more information. Love you, bro. It's 4.20 p.m. And I open the door with my keys. And I rush to lay down on my couch. My mind begins to reel like a movie. As all the memories of Babalalo rewind itself. Tears roll down my eyes. And I immediately receive a phone call from my godmother. Ankelito, I'm sorry for your loss. I wish I could be there for you to hug you. Please let me know if you need anything. Thank you. I reply and hang up the phone. Fuck. I have Madrazo's class in two minutes. Papalala would want me to attend class. I say to myself as I open my computer and log on to the class. I see everyone join the class session with smiles on their faces. And class officially starts. And I have to masquerade my pain as I go through this time period right now in class. Papalalo, I wish I could have made up for the mistakes I made with you. I was too selfish and arrogant back then. And now I was a horrible grandson to you. I wish I could have been more open to you. I wish I could have had another chance to build a better relationship with you. I will always take care of your daughter. And I will never forget the fried chicken you made for me. I'll never forget that you carried a picture of me. Always, even before we met. From the bottom of my heart, I'm sorry for treating you so poorly. I'm so happy that we met, even though I didn't always act like it. I hope that you can forgive me. Rest in peace, Papa Lalo, a.k.a. Abuelo Cocinero. Wow, Angel. That's such a beautiful piece. Yeah. We want to thank you for being here and joining us tonight, Angel. Yeah. Um, no before we do get started with this interview, Life Out Loud just wants to recognize that stories about loss can touch people in unexpected ways. We want to share with listeners that if you or someone you know is experiencing difficult thoughts associated with grief, there are resources available to you. Grief Anonymous is a national support organization dedicated to those who are grieving the loss of a loved one 
by supporting them through the process of self-healing. They hold meetings that may be run by a local facilitator or an already established group or organization in a local community. They also have a Facebook group, which offers free grief support and groups online where people can share their experiences and support others. Their website is griefanonymous.com. For a list of more resources, please check out our website, lifeoutloudpodcast.com. Okay, so Angel, now that we have that out of the way, I want to get into the first question and say that your writing is absolutely captivating. And I think it's a sign of a great writer to be able to wrap your whole personality up into a piece while also showing us the contents of the story really clearly and in such a descriptive, focused, and vivid manner. So I have two questions for you. Um, Why did you choose to tell your story in this way through your specific tone? And were there any stories that inspired you to pursue this manner of writing? Oh, wow, that was a really good question, Sophia. Uh, First of all, I'd like to thank everybody for having me here tonight. First off, I'd like to say um, I chose to uh, narrate this or, you know, as you know, write it in this specific style because I feel like a true story or a great story comes from the voice of the individual that wrote it with that that meaning that it's very authentic. I wanted this piece to be authentic. I wanted this piece to connect with individuals that have also gone through loss during the pandemic or maybe not even during the pandemic, just in general, that have lost somebody that they really cared about. Mm-hmm. So I was just a I was just a big believer of authenticity when I'm writing this piece. And I chose to use my own voice, my own head to publish this piece because I feel like that with that method, you're able to connect with more individuals, which is really my ultimate goal. And to answer your second question about your about my writing style and what my inspirations were. I think that my inspirations, uh, it just came to me naturally. Like I've, I've read a lot of books in the past, like about like, like chapter books and stuff like that. And some books basically ordered their books from like chapter one before the war, chapter two, after the war, chapter mm-hmm. three, you know, PTSD or whatever. So I modeled that. I took those type of models and I, I wanted to implement it, implement it into my story. So you see how we had, uh, before when I was a little kid, before he, before my abuelo came. And then when abuelo finally came to the United States and then we had it during when he was here. And then obviously when he left and then obviously when he passed away, unfortunately. So I decided to take inspirations from books I've read in the past so that I can structure in this manner. Yeah, I think that's really cool. And what you wanted to accomplish with using the vignettes like to mark time I think it translated really well to me as a reader because it was really clear like where you were in your life when you were writing about like your experiences as a grandson and your relationship with your grandfather. So yeah, that's really cool that you were able to do that. Thank you. I appreciate it. Definitely. And it's also like the specific way that like you are speaking, like it's very cool to like know that like that is just like you thinking like it is it is so authentic and so genuine and also because you just like are talented at writing you are also conveying things in this like wonderful way like um when your mom first 
sees Papa Lalo and she said, and you write, like uh, my mom sees him and 20 years of missing my grandfather, like come out of her face. Like that's like such a, like, such a beautiful, like descriptive line. And your story is just really full of that. And along with that genuineness and that authenticity is also the choice that you made to include even the harder parts, which are, you know, phrases in there that are what really happened and that like might not like paint you to be like the best person and I think including that in this is wonderful and like I wanted to ask you if including that like what the process is like like in in thinking to yourself of how to write that into the piece and how you use that to kind of honor the truth of the story uh so basically i wanted to model the story after like you know the human in general like not everybody's perfect in this world unfortunately so i for one yeah. when i wrote the story at, when i wrote the story at the time uh i felt a lot of guilt in my soul because you know i didn't i wasn't the best i'll be honest i wasn't the best grandson to my grandfather unfortunately so at that moment in time i just felt really guilty so um I just wanted to expose myself to the world that, you know, I am not perfect at all. You're not perfect. No one's perfect in this world. We can make mistakes. It's just about how we approach it, how we learn from those mistakes and move forward and learn from those mistakes. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to send that um, indirect message to people when writing this piece, because no one's perfect in this world. Like, it's just how it is. Uh, I wish I could, if I can have a time machine and like go back in time and change how things were, uh, I would gladly have that, but unfortunately, I can't do that. You, all you can do is yes. just move forward. Of course. So, I I think you like captured what you're saying about like the human experience so like well in this because you show that like grayness instead of the black and whiteness. Like you mm -hmm. show this part where you're like you know being like kind of rude to him and just kind of like you know yelling at him or saying these things, and then also are thinking like why don't I go and like talk to him? Why don't I go and try to get to know him too? Like you show that like, you know, both of those parts are you. And I think having both of them, and I'm sure that when you read it, I obviously, I obviously haven't like heard you read it, but like I can hear your voice. Like I, I know the way that you kind of speak. I feel yeah. like you would capture like that duality in mm -hmm. the way that you like say it with just, really well and I'm, I'm excited to hear this along with everyone else <laughs> to follow up uh to that uh time machine comment if you actually could go back in time and talk to your younger self what would you say oh wow that's a deep question um <laughs> um given that i was 15 at the time and now i'm 20 years old uh i would tell him to you know I would basically tell him like talk to your grandfather because the oldest people in your life are the most wisest individuals um i would tell him that don't be selfish at all uh because my 15 year old self especially during this time was very was a very selfish individual i only thought of myself when i could have spent time with my grandfather you know, took him out for walks and stuff like that get him ice cream or just take him out for a show at the park or, you know, even play sports, maybe if he was athletic enough. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but um, I would just tell my younger self, like, don't take life for granted. Don't take anything for granted because one moment, one moment they're here, the next they're gone. Mm 
So you just want to appreciate everything that's in front of you, because if not, then you'll you'll just you know, and if they're gone, you'll just never know like what could have been. You know what I mean? So I would just tell him, talk to your grandfather. But unfortunately, now I can't do that. So it's pretty hurtful. But I'm gonna have to live live with that for the rest of my life. But it is what it is. That's a deep response. Uh, thank you so much for answering. No problem. Yeah, Angel, I just want to say as a reader and a listener, your rawness and, and honesty, just it makes listening and reading your story so much more relatable and enjoyable. And I think we all agree that you're such an amazing writer and the way that you portrayed your story, it was just, it was just beautifully written. So with that, I want to know, like, is there anything that you would like your listeners to take away from your story? Uh. As I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, human, a human is not perfect at all. Um, I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Those at home who are listening are not perfect at all. Um, you know, I just want people to realize that we can make mistakes. Uh, we can feel guilty. We can feel anything we want. Like, uh, we're just not perfect. And it's just at the end of the day, like, you have to live with what you did wrong and just move on. Uh, I've had this guilt for around, like, this is probably three and a half years now. Uh, it still eats away at me all the time. Sometimes uh, I think about my grandfather, uh, his, actually his, um, his wake, his one year anniversary, I guess you can say of him passing away is about to come up in around two to three days. So, um, yeah, I mean, I have to reflect on that again, but it is what it is. Uh, all I can say now is just appreciate those who are there in your life right now because you never know when they'll be taken away from you don't take things for granted at all in this in this life because you only live once you know what i mean so just live day by day enjoy what's in front of you in the moment and don't don't take it for granted like like the title like the title of the episode yeah <laughs> nothing's forever yeah nothing's forever to be honest i mean <laughs> reality of it all but yeah but that's also what makes it beautiful because it's only yeah. here for a short amount of time so you know that in that time it's something that you really have to appreciate in the moment 100 100 that's facts <laughs> with that thank you so much angel for joining us uh, and for being here with us today and for being on the other side it's brave to also come on as an author when you've been a host and you've kind of experienced that already. So thank you so much. No, thank you guys for having me. I hope you guys have an amazing night. Uh, yeah. Live life with you too. Yes, always. <laughs> That concludes our seventh episode of the sixth season, Nothing's Forever. We are all so excited to bring you new stories soon, amplifying these voices from backgrounds you don't normally hear from. You can always find out more at www.lifeoutloudpodcast.com or by searching Life Out Loud Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or YouTube. We also have an Instagram and Facebook if you want to catch any behind-the-scenes content. We'd like to thank everyone who helps make this possible, including our sound engineers and editors, as well as our episode writers, our website developers, everyone behind the scenes here at Life Out Loud. 
And to our audience, we hope you loved these stories as much as we did. It was a joy to bring them to you. A very special thank you to everyone listening in. We'll see you soon and good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.